take up our Bibles at this time and turn to the book of John, John chapter 1. John 1, where we take for our text this morning a very familiar verse, and yet one, even in saying those things, that is always fresh and new as we come before the Word. And as we consider then what it is that he has become flesh, the wonder of the incarnation, which again is not just a December reality, but is one that should always drive us to a further thought of what it is to to be with the Lord, to dwell and abide with him as well. And so we'll hear these words and then we'll turn over in our confession, Hudbert Catechism, Lord's Day 14, to hear that truth together as well. But hear the gospel, John chapter 1, verse 14. The word of the Lord, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Thus far the reading of God's word. We also turn in the back pages of the Trinity Psalter Hymnal to page 878, and to the truth found in question and answers 35 and 36 of our catechism. And so Lord's Day 14, question 35 asks on the top left of the page, what does it mean that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary? That the eternal Son of God who is and remains true and eternal God took to himself through the working of the Holy Spirit from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary a true human nature so that he might also become David's true descendant like his brothers in all things except for sin. How does the holy conception and birth of Christ benefit you? He is our mediator, and in God's sight, he covers with his innocence and perfect holiness my sin in which I was conceived. Thus far, our confession. Let's pray together. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, as we approach your word this morning, we come to familiar words both in the scriptures and also in our confession. And Father, we are thankful that the incarnation, at least for us as your people, is not something that we have to contend against or fight against. And yet, Lord, amongst an unbelieving world, we need to continue to not only know and accede to the the doctrine, but, Father, to live it out in thanksgiving for all of its benefits that are found in Christ. And so, Father, you know my heart, you know my weaknesses. Pray, Father, then, that as your word comes forth from me as one set apart to that task, that you would bless it in your spirit that you would open ears, that you would open hardened hearts, that they would receive it, and that, Father, today would be the day of salvation for those who come before an incarnate Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Well, congregation beloved of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, certainly we as a people ought to be enamored with the wonder of the blessing of the truth of the incarnation. That it is certainly our joy any time we come to the Christmas season to to take those few weeks to to really set ourselves before that story, the story of God made man, Emmanuel, God with us, to be able to understand all of the very fleshy, pun intended ways of which here is one who has been conceived, who is now born, who is born in the way that any of us were born. Although not any of us, I think, born in a manger, in a stall, right? The wonder of what it is then to to have to learn all of those things that we learned of of how to talk and, and how to walk and just all of those very basic things that when we say incarnation and when we say birth of Christ, we just assume 
all of those things. And yet we don't take the time often to understand the the scandal, the the wonder of, of what that is. But more than that, the distinction that is made in the life of a Christian, the truth of the Christian, from every other religion that has ever been invented by man. Because to the world, they look at what we say and say, what foolishness. How ridiculous. Who would write something this way? Think about it. Every other religion speaks of man being God or becoming a God. This is what is ours. This is in our power to do so. If we are just obedient or if we follow in this way. Or an unbelieving world who says there is no God and we are the highest form of life that could be. And the Christian is able to say, I am dead in trespasses and sins. And I needed one to be sent for me in my flesh. And everything that that means. And to live every part of that faithfully. And the chuckle that we have, kids, of saying how hard would it have been to have a brother who was perfect. Of of never disobeying mom and dad. To all of those ways in which he would have done things right, always interacted in the right way and used the right tone. And yet he did all of that and lived all of that in the suffering of all of that for our salvation. The truth of Christianity speaks a more important word of the word made flesh of God becoming man for our salvation of fulfilling all of the promises. That's the joy of of looking back at the beginning, of saying here is a God who makes man in his image and that man falls and after the curse he says what? I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He would send one to work that victory. He would send one to work the salvation that we in our flesh could never work. One who would live and suffer and die and rise for us according to our salvation to defeat sin and death and hell entirely so that he would have every one of his chosen people in life and in death. In an understanding that that this flesh to him still matters. It's redeemable. Yes, it will be glorified. All things will be made new but he defeats death and the rending that happens from this flesh for a people found holy and only in his begotten son, Jesus. And the wonder then in that redemption is not only do we get to speak out saying, here is the incarnation of Jesus, but now to speak in the ways that we talk, but also in the way that we live Here is at work in me the incarnation of Jesus, that people would see him and hear him and know him, even as we live as those not having a righteousness or a life of our own apart from him. And so we have a wonderful story to tell more than just of Mary and Joseph and and a journey and wise men and all of that. We have a story to speak of a great Savior. And so the Christian believes and speaks a story of joy and thanks in making known Christ's incarnation. This should be a part of our witness together. And so that story, as we see in our text in John 1, 
is a story of becoming, it is a story of dwelling, and it is a story of seeing. But it is first then one of becoming, for that story begins with the one described in John 1, of him who has no beginning, who has always been and always will be. As our confession speak, very God, a very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. And already our eyes start to glaze over because now this sounds super technical and super doctrinal. And, and what is this philosophical talk of being and not being? And It's getting to know your Savior. It's being able to speak well of Him, of the eternal Son, of that eternal Word. And so it starts there. And the wonder of speaking the incarnation and why we often read John 1 is for those first words, and the word, that word of promise, that word that speaks all creation into being, that word that is promised in Genesis 3.15, that word of promise given to all the patriarchs and all of the prophets, the word that the Father speaks and the Son is that Word, has been there from the beginning. It is that Word who brought all things to being, who is the life and light of all things, but especially of those made in the image of God. It is Him, full God, always God, never ceasing to be God, no beginning, no end, Alpha and Omega, became flesh. who doesn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but empties himself to this. In our skin, in our bones, in our limitations, in that finiteness, in that one space at one time, and can only do one thing at a time. Flesh. It says in Belgic 18, so then we confess that God fulfilled the promise which he had made to the early fathers by the mouth of the holy prophets when he sent his one and only eternal son into the world at the time set by him. The son took the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. Hear this, truly assuming, not just an appearance, not a show, it is life as we are. In the fullest sense of what that is. Truly assuming a real human nature with all of its weaknesses. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I'm thirsty. I'm emotional. I'm sorrowful. All of it, except for sin. Being conceived in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit without male participation. And he not only assumed a human nature as far as the body is concerned, but also a real human soul in order that he might be a real human being. Real in every sense. For since the soul had been lost as well as the body... He had to assume them both to save them both together. That what it is to be in the flesh is to be body and soul. And so, so many early philosophers and too many people today still want to try to make some unnatural division between the two. Oh, we just need to make this prison house of the soul submit this fleshy thing so that I can be the true... They're both there. It's the sorrow of a funeral. 
and that rending. Because dad, grandpa, he doesn't look the same anymore. Well, well, no, his soul isn't there. Christ takes both. But what does that mean? And I think that's the wonder of our confession as it says it. We, we talk of becoming. He, he is the word and he's made flesh that the eternal son of God who is and remains true and eternal, that doesn't change. He doesn't punch out of heaven for a time and then go do the human thing and then go back. He doesn't stop, took to himself through the working of the Holy Spirit from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary, a true human nature, but then did you catch it as we read this morning, so that he might also become. There is a becoming in these things. There's an active taking on of that responsibility of that which he is called to, that he might become David's true descendant like his brothers in all things except for sin. That he would take up our flesh, our very nature, in such a way that we would have salvation and the forever assurance of it. Because he doesn't stop ever being who he is. So he is becoming human, but he never stops being divine. Belgic 19, we believe that by being thus conceived, the person of the Son has been inseparably united and joined together with human nature in such a way that there are not two sons of God nor two persons, but two natures united in a single person with each nature retaining its own distinct properties. And we struggle with that because we're not like that. He is the one and only. Thus, his divine nature has always remained uncreated without beginning of days or end of life, filling heaven and earth. His human nature has not lost its properties but continues to have those of a creature. It has beginnings of days. It has a finite nature, retains all that belongs to a real body. And even though he, by his resurrection, gave it immortality, that nonetheless did not change the reality of his human nature. For our salvation and resurrection depend also on the reality of his body. Thus, we fast forward to Ascension Day saying, why is it important that our flesh is in heaven? It's a part of our assurance. By these two natures are so un- but these two natures are so united in one person that they are not even separated by his death. And there's the key. He is incarnated in this way that he can be perfect Savior. In every way, perfect Savior that he can live as a man and be righteous for us, that he can die as a man in order to fulfill the penalty that was required of us, but fully God, that he could bear up under the weight of all of the wrath of God and righteous, that he could be restored to the Father. And yet perhaps we struggle with this kind of talk. It just still sounds, Pastor, like a bunch of becoming and being and natures doesn't matter. I love Jesus. Doesn't matter. The incarnation matters. And Christ being fully God and fully man matters. And knowing Jesus Christ and who he is and what he has done matters. Because again, as we started, every other religion is going to say, uh-uh. That, that's weird. That's dumb. That, that's bunk. Belgic 18, therefore we confess against the heresies of the Anabaptists who deny that Christ assumed human flesh from his mother. 
that within those who would call themselves church, and even today would still call themselves church, there is heresy. Oh, well, does it matter that Jesus was really man all the way through? You better believe it does. Man has sinned. Man must pay for his sins. Does it matter that he was God the whole time? It most certainly does, or you have no assurance. No, what do we confess? That he shared the very flesh and blood of the children, that he is the fruit of the loins of David according to the flesh, born of a woman, the seed of David, a shoot from the root of Jesse, the offspring of Judah, having descended from the Jews according to the flesh, from the seed of Abraham, for he assumed Abraham's seed and was made like his brothers except for sin. In that way, he is truly our Emmanuel, that is our God with us. All of this so that we may become like Him. Yes, that we could be saved. But there's more than just that one moment of justification for us. We get to become like Him. (laughs) An eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord means we have to be changed. Because I have beginning of days and end of days. No, there must be more. It's the promise in Hebrews 2. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things and through death, that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death that is the devil and deliver all those through fear of death who are subject to lifelong slavery. Or as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become which I love that there because I'm not there yet. Jesus becomes and he is that fully. Yes, I have been made righteous, but my life isn't fully righteous and I'm still fighting this old nature and this old man. But he became flesh and he became that for me so that I could become like him in true righteousness and holiness, remade that way, becoming that. And he doesn't just do that and then leave. He also then dwells with us. And that in the second place, that too is the joy of the incarnation because he didn't just come and then go. He draws near. Literally, he takes up residence among us. And the word became flesh and connection, not going anywhere, dwelt among us. That that word there, as many of you know, he tabernacled among us. And certainly we hear that Old Testament language. We've preached that together. Last weekend I went on a a tour at the Mennonite Center in uh, Lancaster, uh, a replica, somewhat cheesy but worth the price of admission, replica of the tabernacle. And so you see this wonder of, of here God physically in that way creates a space and yet there's a holy of holies there that nobody gets to see except the priest once a year. And even that through blood and doesn't see the fullness of who he is. And so, yes, there was a a spatial presence. There was a a physical understanding of, of boundaries and so forth. But Jesus tabernacles with us. That in the flesh, he is present, yes, very much spiritually and physically. But again, more than just spatial or spiritual, because it speaks of the side he takes. 
You see, kids, sometimes when we, we, we make sides, so we're going to play dodgeball after cadets or whatnot, and, and you separate out, right? Well, my standing on that side, yes, is a, a, a taking up space, more space maybe than I should, but, but you're there. But these are my guys. This is my team. This is my side. This is who I fight for. This is who I am with. And so Christ comes and says, I am for you and with you. That I take up your flesh, I take up your uniform, as it were. And I'm going to live that for you. He does that to make peace and reconcile the men and women and boys and girls who have been chosen by God the Father and given all things for their salvation, including that son. Again, from the Belgian Confession, Article 20, we believe that God, who is perfectly merciful and also very just, sent his son to assume the nature in which the disobedience had been committed in order to bear it in it the punishment of sin by his most bitter passion and death. So God made known his justice toward his son, who was charged with our sin, and he poured out his goodness and mercy on us, who are worthy of damnation, giving us his son to die a most perfect love, and raising him to life for our justification, in order that by him, okay, so by him and through him, with him as he is for us, we might have immortality and eternal life. And you're like, man, that sounds great. I wish Jesus was on my team. I wish I could see him and I wish I could go talk to him. And you're like, no, I'm glad that he is at the right hand of the Father interceding for me. That all of his people can go talk to him whenever they want to, knowing that he dwells with us. And he still dwells with us and is still for us today as those who are found in him. Because how does this benefit you? He is our mediator in God's sight. He covers with his innocence and perfect holiness my sin in which I was conceived. That in dwelling with us, he proves without a doubt, I have been sent to you to claim you and to cover you. As Paul writes in Galatians 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth a son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons, and because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That your Father says, this is the best way that I can care for you. This is the best way that I might show my love to you. But Christ says, I will learn all those things and live all those things and deal in all of that weakness and all of that frailty in order to care for you. Hebrews 4, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect was tempted as we are yet without sin. And he does that so we would become like him and become then those who not only dwell with him, but who even in our flesh are the dwelling for him. Ephesians 2, in him you all are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That the church then, not just we as individuals, but this body becomes a way that the world would see the incarnation of Jesus. The incarnation of his love and his truth, of his grace, of his gospel. And so there is great blessing for us together as we are becoming Jesus. As we come together as a body, as we dwell in him, knowing that he dwells with us. But then last, it is a matter of seeing, and that in the last place, because we see Jesus in his word. 
We see Jesus in his work. We see it by his spirit as he gathers the saints together, even as he has in this place together as one body, one in which grace and love and truth are incarnated in each one who believe in him alone for their salvation. And so, no, we don't see him physically. And we certainly don't want to see him on a crucifix or in any other way that is a violation of the second commandment. And we don't need to. For we have been given open eyes to behold his glory. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so it was important, even as we read this text, that the sight of Christ in his incarnation was real. That there is an apostolic witness. That there is a true historical Jesus. But after the days of the apostolic witness, no longer were there believers who had seen him in the flesh. They couldn't say, I was there and I saw him live in concert, right? Like there wasn't any of that. But what there was was what? Faith in his word. That's the thing. How do we come to know the wonder of Christ's incarnation? By faith in his word. So in that way, again, the incarnation must be a message more than just for the month of December to be mothballed then along with the other decorations until Thanksgiving comes next year. We're sharing the good news of the incarnation of Jesus. He became flesh for you. He dwells with us. He abides with us. Our God, Emmanuel, he is for us and with us always. We share it as we proclaim the good news of Jesus, but also as we manifest that now in what? In a life of obedience. You want someone to see Jesus? Walk as he walked. You want people to know what the incarnation is? Incarnate the life of obedience and righteousness, true righteousness and holiness that he's redeemed you for. But do that in expectant hope that we will see him again. And when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. But that sight, brothers and sisters, is a matter of faith. It's not just dissent. Oh, I know those things from the Belgian Confession, and I know all of these things from, from the other confessions and the creeds that we have and historically what it means. And the ter- Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you believe the word of glory that he has given? 1 Timothy 3.16, great indeed, we confess, is the ministry of godliness. He was manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Is it my confession, my belief, the source of my assurance that Christ in my flesh has done all of that for me? And if we're to see that and to know that, not only in him but in each other, are we walking that in the spirit of that, in the understanding of what we've received in the sacrifice, in the suffering of Jesus? Have this mind among yourselves, Philippians 2, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You have to be in him. Oh, I'll just do whatever I want. Christ is for me. Wrong. That would be like being on the same dodgeball team and jumping over to the other side and chucking dodgeballs at your own team. No. If he is for us and with us, then have we made a confession that we are for him and with him? Always. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. 
By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Giving himself to becoming a life direction, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And that is glorious. Glory not in the definition of this world, but real glory. Glory that belongs to grace and salvation. A glorious grace freely given us in the one he loved, not of our works. John 1.17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, it's all of Christ full of grace and truth. He is our entrance into that glory now and forever. And he says this to you who do not believe, who do not know that glory, who do not know that life, who have not come to know the incarnation of Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Do you believe? Not just that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, but have you by his spirit in the forgiveness and grace and faith that he has promised to you? Have you truly beheld him? Have you dwelt with him? Are you overwhelmed by his glory in the word preached and taught that is taking root in you as you believe it by faith in the one who loves you and gave himself for you? As you live for the praise of his glorious grace, have all that is promised in the one who is in our flesh at the right hand of the Father. That's why Peter could encourage the saints in 1 Peter 1, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And that's why we confess these things. And that's why we believe these things. And it's why we speak in philosophical language sometimes and you say, how is that warm? Because this is Jesus. These are the reasons we confess him to be true God and true man, true God in order to conquer death by his power, true man that he might die for us in the weakness of his flesh, that we would speak a story of hope and love and wonder, but also live it in thanks for the wonder of his incarnation for us and our salvation. Because we have the promise of Paul in Colossians 3 as we close. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Is a being in the flesh, fully God, fully man, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things of the earth where you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Is that your joy? Is that your thanks? This Jesus is with me and for me. Then speak a story of joy and thanks in making him known. His incarnation, yes, is historical event, but is continued becoming in you by his word and spirit. Let's do that together in the joy and the peace of believing in one who is all grace and truth. Amen. As we prepare our hearts next Sunday to commune in broken body and poured out blood, we hear this preparatory exhortation this morning. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
Since we hope next Lord's Day to celebrate the blessed sacrament of the Lord's Supper, we are called to prepare our hearts by rightly examining ourselves. For the Apostle Paul has written, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Therefore, you should examine your life and considering your own sin and the wrath of God against it, be sure that you humble yourself in repentance before God. Examine your heart to be sure that you trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, believing that your sins are forgiven, wholly by grace because of our Lord's sacrifice of the cross. Finally, examine your conscience to be sure that you resolve to live in faith and obedience before your Lord and in love and peace with your neighbor. God will surely receive at the table of His Son all who truly repent of their sins, believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, and desire to do His will. All those, however, who do not repent, who do not put their trust in the Lord Jesus, and who have no desire to lead a godly life are warned, according to the command of God, to keep themselves from the holy sacrament. If any one of us is living in disobedience to Christ and in enmity with his neighbor, he must repent of his sin and reconcile himself to his neighbor before he comes to the Lord's table. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. The solemn warning is not designed, however, to discourage penitent sinners from coming to the holy sacrament. We do not come to the supper as though we were righteous in ourselves, but rather to testify that we are sinners and that we look to Jesus Christ for our salvation. Although we do not have perfect faith, do not serve and love God with all our hearts, and do not love our neighbors as we ought, we are confident that the Savior accepts us at His table when we come in humble faith, with sorrow for our sins, and with a will to follow Him as He commands. And since it is necessary for us to come to the sacrament in good conscience, we urge any who lack this confidence to seek from the minister or any elder of this church such counsel as may quiet his conscience or lead to the conversion of his life. All then who are truly sorry for their sins, who sincerely believe in the Lord Jesus as their Savior, and who earnestly desire to lead a godly life, ought to accept the invitation now given and come with gladness to the table of their Lord. Let's pray. Almighty God, who has given us the gospel of Jesus Christ and provided a most wonderful communion with Him through the mystery of the sacrament, we need Your grace to enable us to prepare our hearts for the reception of Holy Communion. To all who sincerely believe in your Son and truly repent of their sins, grant assurance of your gracious readiness to receive and bless them in the supper of their Lord. To all who have not yet repented and have not put their trust in the Lord Jesus, grant a restraining fear of this supper, lest their condemnation be greater. But have mercy upon these and grant them grace to repent of their sins and seek their salvation in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We confess, O Father, that we have all offended your majesty and deserve your judgment. We have transgressed in our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. Truly, there is no strength in us. Be merciful, O God, and grant us your pardon, and let us come to the sacrament in the joy of your forgiving love. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit, the one and only God, lives and reigns forever. Amen.